This is Understanding Israel-Palestine. I'm your host, Eamon Ormseth. On Friday, October 20th, I interviewed Mazen Kumsiya. Two days before our interview, on October 18th, the Center for Constitutional Rights released an emergency legal briefing which stated, quote, There is a plausible and credible case, based on powerful factual evidence, that Israel is attempting to commit, if not actively committing, the crime of genocide in the occupied Palestinian territory, and specifically against the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. It further stated, The United States is not only failing to uphold its obligation to prevent the commission of genocide, but there is a plausible and credible case to be made that the United States' actions to further the Israeli military operation, closure, and campaign against the Palestinian population in Gaza rise to the level of complicity in the crime under international law. This report came on the heels of the relentless bombardment in the previous 10 days of the Gaza Strip by Israeli warplanes and an Israeli-led total siege that had cut off water, food, medicine, fuel, and electricity to the 2.3 million inhabitants of Gaza. My interview with Dr. Kumsia follows. Today, I'm joined by Professor Mazen Kumsia. Mazen previously served at U.S. universities, including Tennessee, Duke, and Yale. He is the founder and volunteer director of the Palestine Institute for Biodiversity and Sustainability at Bethlehem University. Professor Kumsia has published over 180 scientific papers, over 30 book chapters, hundreds of articles, and several books, including Sharing the Land of Canaan, Popular Resistance in Palestine, and others on topics ranging from cultural heritage to human rights to biodiversity conservation to cancer. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Madden, can you please take the time to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thanks. You did uh, a good introduction. Uh, you know, my wife and I returned to Palestine in 2008. I lived in many states while in the U.S. We are U.S. citizens. We are here suffering like the rest of the Palestinian population. Mazen, today is Friday, October 20th. Before we talk about the overall situation, I believe you're in Bethlehem right now. Can you describe the situation in Bethlehem? All right, to put it in context, Bethlehem has 250,000 Palestinians, 70,000 of them are refugees from 1948. The Bethlehem governorate or Bethlehem city and, and a few towns and villages around it have shrunk to only 15% of the land of Bethlehem. 85% is controlled by the Israeli occupiers, colonizers who have built a number of colonial settlements on our land, and they keep us in a ghetto of Bethlehem. There is a ghetto here. There's many ghettos. Uh, one of them is Gaza, which uh, you heard about the troubles in Gaza, so to speak, now. Uh, but there are many others, including in Ramallah and Jericho and so forth. These are areas where Israel puts a surplus population of Palestinians in the same way that the U.S. had put its Native Americans in reservations after driving them out of their lands, a la March of Tears from Florida to Oklahoma. So Bethlehem is one of those areas, reservations or ghettos or concentration areas. 
and it is now blockaded from other ghettos even. I cannot go to the Ramallah ghetto or the, or the Jericho ghetto and certainly not uh, to Jerusalem or to Gaza. So we're isolated from each other and it's an apartheid system like the apartheid system in South Africa under apartheid, but it is actually worse in many aspects by the testimony of many South African leaders. I'm hearing you say that Gaza is a ghetto, uh, not just Gaza, though. It sounds like the Israeli army controls the access to most major population centers. The West Bank as well. Can you describe that mechanism yeah. of control more? Well, let, let me step back. I mean, the ghettos that we have now are actually a small part of historic Palestine. Historic Palestine had many Palestinian cities and villages, hundreds of them. There was large-scale ethnic cleansing. Palestine was 97% non-Jewish population, 3% Jewish population. All 100% of Palestinians, including our 3% Jewish population, were against the idea of transforming the country to a Jewish state. Nevertheless, great powers, Britain, France, and the U.S., thought it was a good idea to ethnically cleanse Palestine and create a Jewish state of Israel in its place. That's why we today have 15 million Palestinians in the world. Eight million of us are refugees or displaced people. And the ones who remain, like, for example, let's take Gaza. Gaza is actually 2.3 million Palestinians were squeezed into semi-arid strip of land along the Mediterranean coast. The 2.3 million include about 1.5 million who are refugees from 1948. Most of them don't belong in Gaza. They belong in their own villages and towns, which were renamed. For example, Najd became Sdirot, Askalan became Ashkelon, and so forth. The so-called Israeli towns in the south were built on the ruins of those villages and towns whose residents were literally pushed into to the sea ended up in a place like the Gaza Strip. That's the context which people forget when they talk about Palestine, is that we have had the history since 1948. We're talking about 75 years of oppression. So when they talk, for example, about this Hamas, quote-unquote, unprovoked attack on, quote-unquote, Israel, they forget that this is not what it seems. There are 75 years, and October 7 was one day in which the prisoners, basically in the largest open-air prison in the world, the Gaza Strip, some of them broke out of the prison and went into these areas that were stolen from them many years ago. They they prevented them from going back to their homes and lands, which by international law they should, by the way. There's a refugee right of return, but Israel refuses that. This is the context that people forget is that for us, when they talk about the terrible events of October 7th for the Israelis, they forget that Palestinians have been having terrible events, not for one day, but for basically 365 days a year for the past 75 years. That's more than 20,000 days in which horrors are committed every one of these days. You don't see them on Fox News or CNN or any of those. 
Western media outlets. Thank you, Professor Kumsia. I'm hearing you describe the, the events of October 7th as horrific indeed. And you're also situating those events within a larger context of dispossession and ethnic cleansing of the land of historic Palestine. I want to draw on some of your expertise as a biologist, scientist, zoologist. I think that sometimes when people hear a lot of this law, international law terminology, their eyes glaze over a bit. And I'm wondering if you can describe some of the the natural history of this land. Can you help us picture the, the sort of feeling of being on the land of Palestine? Well, the land of Palestine, historic land of Palestine, is part of the Fertile Crescent, where humans first invented agriculture, first domesticated animals and plants. That's why, for example, domestication of olive trees happened in Palestine by our ancestors 5,000 years ago. The land is very rich and very uh, resourceful people. Our ancestors, Canaanitic people, who inhabited this land, who cultivated it. Even in the Bible, it says the land of Canaan is the land of milk and honey. This is a rich country in resources and agriculture and other resources. This is why it was coveted before by many invaders from the Crusaders and others, Persians, Egyptians, etc. And of course, now the Zionist uh, invaders who wanted this land and they want to transform it. Transform it from what to what? Palestine was always multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-religious and even multilingual country. Before 1948, there were 44 languages spoken in Palestine. So they want to transform this diversity of uh, civilizations and people in Palestine to make it into a Jewish state of Israel. This entailed the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. That's what happened in the past 100 years. That's why this is important to understand the context of what's happening, not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank. I mean, yesterday they killed 13 Palestinians in an invasion on one of the towns in the West Bank. So it is happening all the time, as I said, daily incursions by fascist fanatical settlers who come from around the world, including from the United States, settle on our land, steal our land, burn our olive trees, destroy agriculture, damaged the landscape, and created the largest refugee population on earth. As I said, 8 million Palestinian refugees. I mean, I'm talking about political refugees. There's estimates now that climate refugees may be higher in numbers than Palestinian refugees. But as political refugees, uh, as a result of ethnic cleansing, this is the largest. So this is basically the bigger picture. You zoom in when that when you make I'm a medical geneticist, when you make the right diagnosis, it's very easy to understand the symptoms. The right diagnosis is settler colonialism. People in the United States are very familiar with the history of settler colonialism. They know it very well. They know what we had done to Native Americans. I say we because I'm also a US citizen what we had done to Native Americans, the genocide that was committed against Native Americans. That is what we have to live up with as Americans, as U.S. citizens. The symptoms of it are understandable. For example, I heard a lot of 
nonsense from President Biden and Prime Minister of England, President of France, saying about Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, the colonial settlers in North America always said we have a right to defend ourselves, defend ourselves against those savages, barbarians that are attacking us. We're only circling the wagons, protecting our women and children. So you can see people can understand the logic of colonial settlers saying they're defending themselves against their victims. It's like a woman being raped who scratches the rapist and then you say, well, she's a terrorist, you know. She's defending her. She's she's attacking this guy who's merely defending himself by punching her in the face. I just wanted to zoom in a little bit on a word that you mentioned. You said that Israeli forces invaded Turkadam refugee camp. Now, this language of invasion, can you help us understand why you use that word when you're talking about the actions of Israeli forces and specifically in the West Bank in this instance? I live in Bethlehem, okay? That's where my ancestors lived for hundreds of years. The Israeli military comes regularly into Bethlehem. Who is the Israeli military? There are people gathered from around the world, created this country called Israel, and came to our country, occupies Bethlehem, and comes into Bethlehem. When you have native people, and they have lived in one place for hundreds and thousands of years, and some foreigners come in. What else, what other language would you describe such a situation other than invasion, disgusting attempts to destroy native people's livelihood? We were living here. We didn't go to where they came from, uh, whether it's Poland or America or whatever, and harass them. No, they came here and are harassing us. This is invasion. Of course it's invasion. As I said, just like the European colonizers in North America, what's the difference? You are listening to Understanding Israel-Palestine. Today I'm interviewing Professor Mazen Kumsia a well-published scholar, scientist, and human rights activist based in Bethlehem in occupied Palestine. The first part of our discussion touched on the natural history of the land of Palestine. In the second half of our conversation, we discussed the humanitarian implications of Israel's campaign in Gaza. I wanted to zoom out a bit now to move over to the situation in Gaza. Can you help our listeners understand what does international law say about Israel's obligation to the people of Gaza? Yes, this is a very important question because this also exposes Western hypocrisy. The U.S., for example, with President Biden just submitted to Congress a package of aid and he made the speech last night about why he is supporting both Ukraine and Israel. Now, why is he supporting Ukraine and Israel? He claims that they are democracies facing terrorists and dictators and so on. Well, you know, let's look a little deeper. 
Russia occupies part of Ukraine, the part that had Russian-speaking people. And what does the West do? What did the U.S. do? Give them billions of dollars, give the Ukrainians billions of dollars to fight against the Russian occupation of parts of their land. Israel has been occupying the whole of Palestine for decades, for decades. And instead of giving weapons and money and resources to the Palestinians to defend themselves against this colonial onslaught and occupation, the U.S. actually funds the occupiers, supports occupiers. This is the hypocrisy of Western foreign policy. Now, international law is very clear. Military occupation is illegal. If it happens during a war, it's supposed to be a temporary occupation, right? In which the Geneva Conventions apply, where you are supposed to be responsible for the welfare of the local people. And in international law, it says an occupier cannot transport parts of its own population to live in occupied areas. Israel has nearly a million people living just in the West Bank including in East Jerusalem. They stole most of the land of the West Bank and they built colonial settlements in it. This is contrary to international law, contrary to the Geneva Conventions, international humanitarian law, etc. Israel violates also the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was adopted in 1949 because of the horrors of the Second World War and violations of human rights. Israel has laws that discriminate against non-Jews in the country. They have, a, as we talked about earlier, an apartheid system. There's a convention against the crime of apartheid and racial discrimination adopted by the United Nations. Israel is violating that. Israel is violating dozens of conventions dozens of UN Security Council resolutions, hundreds of UN General Assembly resolutions. Why do they get away with it? Because the US, which is dominant at the United Nations, uses its veto power to protect Israel from international law. The US itself violated international law in its invasions of Iraq, Libya, in Syria, in Yemen, in Vietnam, in Cambodia, in Korea. So I guess the U.S. government is used to violating international law, and they are protecting Israel from international law. I want to understand the situation in, in Gaza right now, and again, use the language of international law to describe what is happening. Israel, according to international law, is occupying the Gaza Strip. Occupying powers have an obligation to protect the civilians uh, in the territories that they occupy. In your view, is Israel protecting the civilians of the Gaza Strip right now? Well, Israel, you can listen to their own words. The Israeli president, when he was asked about, uh, you know, is the population of Gaza responsible and should they be targeted? He said, yes, the population in Gaza is responsible. The civilians are not civilians and they can be targeted. The Israeli minister of defense, so to speak, tongue-in-cheek ministry of defense, it should be called ministry of offense, said that we are not fighting normal wars. We are fighting against human animals. That is why I have ordered 
that no water, no electricity, no food, not a drop of medicines, nothing will go into this enclave of terrorists. What's an enclave of terrorists? Is Gaza Strip 2.3 million civilians. Regardless of what one feels about the resistance movement of Hamas and Islamic Jihad and all the other factions in Gaza, they're not the people of Gaza. The people of Gaza are not all of those. <laughs> you know, so you cannot do that. That's just two Israeli leaders, Ministry of Defense and the president. But I can quote you dozens of other ministers and officials and military uh, rulers who point blank said, we are not worried about civilians. Uh, We are targeting not, one of them said, we're not targeting for accuracy. We're targeting for maximum impact on the population. For example, Minister of Defense himself repeatedly said, we're punishing the population of Gaza. We're punishing the population of Gaza. In international law, this is a war crime. He should be taken to the Hague. He is punishing the population of Gaza. According to international law, even in the worst kind of conflicts that happened in the whatever, in Vietnam, in Second World War, whatever, where millions of people were killed. International law is very clear. You cannot punish a population. You cannot attack a population. And here's Israeli leaders. The prime minister himself, Netanyahu, repeatedly said, you know, the people of Gaza are responsible for having elected Hamas as a political party. So we should target them. But you don't have to listen to just to their words, listen to their actions. What does it mean when you deny water, food, electricity, fuel? When you bomb hospitals, 51 hospitals, when you bomb schools, universities, when you bomb churches and mosques. Just today, this morning, they bombed the church. 16 Palestinian Christians in Gaza were killed. And Israel knows this is a church, and it's the oldest church in Gaza. Uh, And they bombed, I don't remember, 20-some mosques or something. So explain to me what is that other than targeting a population. This is all, all by international law is considered a punishable crime against humanity, war crimes, violations of international laws. And and as such, Israel doesn't have an excuse. I mean, you were talking about just in the past 12 days, 3,500 Palestinians were killed. That's the ones we know about. There's probably that many more that are still under the rubble because nobody can dig up the rubbles. There's no equipments and everything is being bombed. But the 3,500 they killed, all, essentially all of them, probably 99% of them, if not 100%, are civilians. How do I know? 70% of them are women and children. Of the 3,500 that are known dead, 1,570 are children. You know, how is how is 40% children killed of your quote-unquote targets that not uh, compute a war crime and a crime against humanity? Uh, they're not going after military targets. They're going after genocide, basically. And I don't use this term easily. I looked into the International Convention Against the Crime of Genocide and I urge everybody to read it, and Israel fits it perfectly. 
Professor Kumsi, uh, you mentioned that Israel has cut off the supply of food, water, fuel. I understand they need fuel to power their water purification plant because the groundwater has been so polluted from decade uh, over a decade of bombing, in addition to deprivation of necessary infrastructure for controlling pollution of groundwater. Have also asked the entire population of the northern Gaza Strip to evacuate to the southern Gaza Strip within the space of 24 hours. As you just mentioned, I believe it was Orthodox Church of St. Porfirios was struck by Israeli planes. Uh, the Orthodox Patriarchate of Jerusalem released a statement recently confirming that. And you ended what you just said by charging Israel with the crime of genocide. As you said, a serious charge to make. And you looked into the international legal definition of genocide. Now, can you walk us through what that definition entails and why not just you, but many human rights experts today are, are agreeing with you that Israel is, commit, if not actively committing, preparing to commit the crime of genocide on the Palestinian people? I mean, people can read the statements released. Just today, there was a statement released from Amnesty International, which is very strong, and it says Israel is committing war crimes and is by depriving the people of water, food, electricity, fuel, you know, medicines. Imagine medicines, already three hospitals. Israel bombed, of course, five hospitals in Gaza already, but three hospitals went out of business because they don't have any supplies anymore. Three hospitals out of a total of 22 hospitals in, in the Gaza Strip. When you deny medicines to hospitals, and the other hospitals will soon, in the next few days, will all run out of supplies, and they already, many of them cannot treat uh, the wounded, so they're having to let people die, and they're having to make tough choices between which, uh, what surgeries to do, what people to save. For example, somebody has an injury in the leg, I say, well, it's quicker to cut off the leg than operate. We don't have anesthesia, we don't have equipment to do this, so just uh, local anesthesia and cut off the leg or the arm or whatever and and let them go because we don't we cannot save legs and arms when we need to save lives so this is what's happening in even the remaining functioning hospitals but all of those will be out of service soon unless medical supplies are allowed into gaza which israel said as i told you the minister of defense his words, we cannot allow any medical supplies or anything into Gaza until we get, quote-unquote, our hostages back. This is, again, you know, illegal by international law. I do want to mention the one thing about water that you mentioned. It's very important. Water is the basics of life. Israel already had cut off the water of Gaza when they blocked the waterway that used to run through Gaza, called Wadi Gaza. And when they told the people of Gaza in the north, 1.1 million people, they want them ethnically cleansed. They want them to move to the south in preparation for all of the Gaza population to be kicked out to Egypt. When they told them the border is Wadi Gaza. What is Wadi Gaza? Wadi Gaza used to be a river, a river flowing through Gaza. Israel blocked it many, many years ago. 
long before this this conflict. And so that is why there is a crisis of water in Gaza. But now he cut it off. Okay, cutting it off as water already and bombing the sewage and water and sanitation uh, facilities in Gaza is creating a huge health crisis. And the world's the World Health Organization is a neutral organization. Said this is horrific. What's happened? They've never seen anything like this. For the U.S. to be complicit in this 21st century genocide is like being complicit in the Armenian Holocaust, or in the Jewish Holocaust, or in the genocide in the Congo with millions of people by by the Belgians, etc. This is this is what it means. I will end by saying Israel will fight us regardless of what kind of resistance we used. I myself, even though I believe in um, popular non-armed resistance, I was detained and arrested many times. Israel's war is with the Palestinians because they want the land. They don't want the people who come with the land. It's as simple as that. Professor Mathen Pumthia speaking with us from occupied Palestine. Thank you for your time today and may God be with you in the coming weeks. Thank you.